Section 97 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain Letter 128 London, January 21st, Old Style, 1750 My dear friend, In all my letters from Paris, I have the pleasure of finding, among many other good things, your docility mentioned with emphasis. This is the sure way of improving in those things which you only want. It is true they are little, but it is as true, too, that they are necessary things. As they are mere matters of usage and mode, it is no disgrace for anybody of your age to be ignorant of them, and the most compendious way of learning them is, fairly to avow your ignorance, and to consult those who, from long usage and experience, know them best. Good sense and good nature suggest civility in general, but in good breeding there are a thousand little delicacies, which are established only by custom and it is these little elegances of manners which distinguish a courtier and a man of fashion from the vulgar. I am assured by different people that your air is already much improved, and one of my correspondents makes you the true French compliment of saying, Faut-vous promettre qu'il sera bientôt comme un de nos autres? However unbecoming this speech may be in the mouth of a Frenchman, I am very glad that they think it applicable to you for I would have you not only adopt but rival the best manners and usages of the place you are at, be they what they will. That is the versatility of manners which is so useful in the course of the world. Choose your models at Paris, and then rival them in their own way. There are fashionable words, phrases, and even gestures at Paris, which are called du bon ton, not to mention certains petits politices d'attention, qui ne sont rien en elles-mêmes, which fashion has rendered necessary. Make yourself master of all these things, and to such a degree as to make the French say, qu'on dira que c'est une Françoise, and when hereafter you shall be at other courts, do the same thing there, and conform to the fashionable manners and usages of the place. That is what the French themselves are not apt to do. Wherever they go, they retain their own manners, as thinking them the best but granting them to be so, they are still in the wrong not to conform to those of the place. One would desire to please wherever one is, and nothing is more innocently flattering than an approbation, and an imitation of the people one converses with. I hope your colleges with Marcel go on prosperously. In these ridiculous, though at the same time really important lectures, pray attend, and desire your professor to attend, more particularly to the chapter of the arms. It is they that decide of a man's being genteel or otherwise, more than any other part of the body. A twist or stiffness in the wrist will make any man in Europe look awkward. The next thing to be attended to is your coming into a room, and presenting yourself to company. This gives the first impression, and the first impression is often a lasting one. Therefore, pray desire Professor Marcel to make you come in and go out of his room frequently, and in the supposition of different companies being there such as ministers, women, mixed companies, etc. Those who present themselves well have a certain dignity in their air, which without the least seeming mixture of pride, at once engages and is respected. I should not so often repeat, nor so long dwell upon such trifles, with anybody that has had less solid and valuable knowledge than you have. Frivolous people attend to those things, par préférence. They know nothing else, my fear with you is that from knowing better things you should despise these too much, and think them of much less consequence than they really are, 
for they are of a great deal, and more especially to you. Pleasing and governing women may, in time, be of great service to you. They often please and govern others. Apropos, are you in love with Madame de Birkenrode still, or has some other taken her place in your affections? I take it for granted that, qua te cum qua domet venus, non erebusendis adurat ignibus, un arrangement honnête sied bien à un galant homme. In that case I recommend to you the utmost discretion and the profoundest silence. Bragging of, hinting at, intimating, or even affectedly disclaiming and denying such an arrangement will equally discredit you among men and women. An unaffected silence upon that subject is the only true medium. In your commerce with women, and indeed with men too, un certain dossier is particularly engaging. It is what constitutes that character which the French talk of so much, and so justly value, I mean l'amiable. This dossier is not so easily described as felt. It is the compound result of different things, a complacence, a flexibility, but not a servility of manners, an air of softness in the countenance, gesture, and expression, equally whether you concur or differ with the person you converse with. Observe those carefully who have that dossier that charms you and others, and your own good sense will soon enable you to discover the different ingredients of which it is composed. You must be more particularly attentive to this dossier whenever you are obliged to refuse what is asked of you, or to say what in itself cannot be very agreeable to those to whom you say it. It is then the necessary gilding of a disagreeable pill. L'amiable consists in a thousand of these little things aggregately. It is the serviteur in modo, which I have so often recommended to you. The respectable, Mr. Hart assures me, you do not want, and I believe him. Study then carefully, and acquire perfectly, the amiable, and you will have everything. Abbe Guasco, who is another of your panegyrists, writes me word that he has taken you to dinner at Marquis de Saint-Germain, where you will be welcome as often as you please, and the oftener the better. Profit of that, upon the principle of travelling in different countries, without changing places. He says, too, that he will take you to the Parliament, when any remarkable cause is to be tried. That is very well. Go through the several chambers of the Parliament, and see and hear what they are doing. Join practice and observation to your theoretical knowledge of their rights and privileges. No Englishman has the least notion of them. I need not recommend to you to go to the bottom of the constitutional and political knowledge of countries, for Mr. Hart tells me that you have a peculiar turn that way, and have informed yourself most correctly of them. I must now put some queries to you, as to a juris publici peritus, which I am sure you can answer me, and which I own I cannot answer myself, if they are upon a subject now much talked of. First, are there any particular forms requisite for the election of a king of the Romans, different from those which are necessary for the election of an emperor? Second, is not a king of the Romans as legally elected by the votes of a majority of the electors, as by two-thirds, or by the unanimity of the electors? Third, is there any particular law or constitution of the empire that distinguishes, either in matter or in form, the election of a king of the Romans from that of an emperor? And is not the golden bull of Charles the Fourth equally the rule for both? Fourth, were there not, at a meeting of a certain number of the electors, I have forgotten when, some rules and limitations agreed upon concerning the election of a king of the Romans, 
and were those restrictions legal, and did they obtain the force of law? How happy I am, my dear child, that I can apply to you for knowledge, and with a certainty of being rightly informed. It is knowledge, more than quick, flashy parts, that makes a man of business. A man who is master of his matter, twill, with inferior parts, be too hard in Parliament, and indeed anywhere else, for a man of better parts, who knows his subject but superficially, and if to his knowledge he joins eloquence and elocution, he must necessarily soon be at the head of that assembly, but without those two no knowledge is sufficient. Lord Huntington writes me word that he has seen you, and that you have renewed your old school acquaintance. Tell me fairly your opinion of him, and of his friend Lord Stormont, and also of the other English people of fashion you meet with. I promise you invaluable secrecy on my part. You and I must now write to each other as friends, without the least reserve. There will for the future be a thousand things in my letters, which I would not have any mortal living but yourself see or know. Those you will easily distinguish, and neither show nor repeat, and I will do the same by you. To come to another subject, for I have a pleasure in talking over every subject with you, how deep are you in Italian? Do you understand Ariosto, Tasso, Boccaccio, and Machiavelli? If you do, you know enough of it, and may know all the rest, by reading, when you have time. Little or no business is written in Italian, except in Italy, and if you know enough of it to understand the few Italian letters that may in time come in your way, and speak Italian tolerably to those very few Italians who speak no French, give yourself no further trouble about that language till you happen to have full leisure to perfect yourself in it. It is not the same with regard to German. Your speaking and writing it well will particularly distinguish you from every other man in England, and is, moreover, of great use to any one who is, as probably as you will be, employed in the empire. Therefore, pray cultivate them seditiously, by writing four or five lines of German every day, and by speaking it to every German you meet with. You have now got a footing in a great many good houses at Paris in which I advise you to make yourself domestic. This is to be done by a certain easiness of carriage, and a decent familiarity. Not by way of putting yourself upon the frivolous footing of being sans consequence, but by doing in some degree the honours of the house and table, calling yourself un bandonneur le galopin d'ici, saying to the masters or mistress, si si es mon département, je me charge à vouiller que je mène à quitter à ma ville. This sort of badinage has something engaging and liant in it, and begets that decent familiarity, which it is both agreeable and useful to establish in good houses and with people of fashion. Mere formal visits, dinners and suppers, upon formal invitations, are not the thing. They add no connection nor information, but it is the easy, careless ingress and egress at all hours that forms the pleasing and profitable commerce of life. The post is so negligent that I lose some letters from Paris entirely, and receive others much later than I should. To this I ascribe my having received no letter from you for above a fortnight, which to my impatience seems a long time. I expect to hear from you once a week. Mr. Hart has gone to Cornwall, and will be back in about three weeks. I have a packet of books to send you by the first opportunity, which I believe will be Mr. York's return to Paris. The Greek books come from Mr. Hart and the English ones from your humble servant. Read Lord Bolingbroke's with great attention, as well to the style as to the matter. 
I wish you could form yourself such a style in every language. Style is the dress of thoughts, and a well-dressed thought, like a well-dressed man, appears to great advantage. Yours, adieu. End of section 97. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.